Hello and welcome to episode two of Harry Potter Chapter Chat. We now have a name, that is the name of our podcast. This is the podcast that relives the magic of Harry Potter one chapter at a time. My name is Anna. And I'm Zoe. And you're joining us here at HPCC in book one, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, chapter two. Before we get started on chapter two, can I just do a a little embarrassing correction from chapter one or the first podcast that I mentioned? Uh, Embarrassing mainly because I claimed to know everything about Harry Potter, which I kind of still stand by because this correction is to do with cover work, not the actual story. So I I said that the original edition of Harry Potter had a picture of Cornelius Fudge on the back. Long and short is, it doesn't. It's actually just a random wizard. So I'm just, just going to apologise and we can move on. He actually based it on his father. So that's actually a depiction of Thomas Taylor's father and not... Cornelius Fudge, and not also Nicholas Fumel, who other people have thought it is, because of the sort of what looks like a kind of bulge in his pocket, which people have thought might be the Philosopher's <laughs> Stone, <laughs> which would be would kind of make sense. It's a bit random bulged. Now I think about it, yeah. um, which sounds it sounds weird if you're not looking at the picture. So we'll move on. <laughs> but we're not an explicit podcast, so draw your own conclusions. <laughs> Uh, anyway, chapter yes. two. The Vanishing Class. Shall I do a summary? Yes, go for it. Okay, so it starts off letting us know that nearly ten years has passed since Harry was left on the doorstep in the freezing cold of an October night. Harry has basically been neglected for the last ten years. So it starts up on Dudley's birthday, and the Dursleys want to take Dudley to the zoo and leave Harry with the old lady Mrs Fig. But turns out that can't happen, so they have to take Harry with them to the zoo, which is Harry's first outing. Strange things happen in the reptile house with the glass to a cage, well, not cage, the glass to an exhibit vanishing and Harry speaking to snakes, unusually, which shouldn't happen in a Dursley's normal family. So there's a lot of anger and quite a bit of sadness at the end as well. It's it's quite a short little chapter, but an iconic one. As I feel all, actually, these chapters at the beginning of this book are, they're pretty, well, yeah, iconic times <laughs> in the life of Harry. It's, it's like any book, really, isn't it? You have to get the initial descriptions and stuff underway, so it's 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 laying a solid groundwork. One description of which, beautiful segue there, <laughs> is <laughs> Dudley, which I greatly enjoying this chapter yes Um, my favorite lines of this chapter revolve around the descriptions of Dudley Mm -hmm. a pig in a wig (laughs) yeah yeah classic a large pink beach ball wearing different colored bobble hats (laughs) yeah I think this sort of begins the fat related humor we've got going on here um which escalates somewhat as the books go on Mm mm-hmm so I definitely enjoy that. And we we really build up a picture of what Dudley is like. And I think the fact that he is so overweight just like totally encapsulates his character, really. He's been completely spoilt and mm. saturated with stuff, as we see with his presence, but literally food as well. So I, I think it's very fitting. Yeah, I think as well... Because we've had the films, we sort of see the characters, the actors in the films as the characters from Harry Potter. And I think they definitely underplay just how fat Dudley is in the movies. For sure. Yeah. He is not, I mean, 
I I don't think in the film he is really that fat, but here he clearly is just rather rotund. <laughs> yeah, he's. I mean, think of the first film. He's he's a little he's a little chubby, perhaps. Bit of a podge. Definitely towards the end of the films is pretty normal sized. <laughs> Whereas actually, Uncle Vernon. Oh gosh, what's his, what's his name? Is it Richard something? Yes, Richard. Oh, we should really do our research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Richard something, who portrays Uncle Vernon absolutely excellently in the films. He is very, very large, or was, I should say. He's passed mm, away. Yeah. But um, he has the kind of largeness, I think, that JK was actually getting at with um, Dudley. Yeah, definitely. I feel, I feel like uh, Dudley is probably pretty much the same size as Vernon. Yeah, <laughs> already. Yeah. Vernon's described as sort of beefy, but not particularly fat or overweight. Yeah, I don't imagine him as flabby. Just, just really, just <laughs> big. <laughs> what a great word, flabby. <laughs> flabby, just to add to beefy. Yeah, and um, that is a shame from the films because um, the his largeness does contribute to much of the story we get to like the bits uh, where he's dieting in later books and <laughs> all of that so it is it is pretty pretty crucial and yeah. also like that his fatness is we've talked about his fatness a lot considering <laughs> yeah. uh, but it kind of offsets harry we get our first little description of him here bless him uh shall i read it yeah go ahead So uh, we're on page 20, Philosopher's Stone. Perhaps it has something to do with living in a dark cupboard, but Harry had always been small and skinny for his age. He looked even smaller and skinnier than he really was because all he had to wear were old clothes of Dudley's and Dudley was about four times bigger than he was. Harry had a thin face, knobbly knees, black hair and bright green eyes. He wore round glasses held together with a lot of sellotape because of all the times Dudley had punched him on the nose. The only thing Harry liked about his own appearance was a very thin scar on his forehead, which was shaped like a bolt of lightning. Initially, this makes me feel really sorry for Harry because he's just, he's just, he's clearly been neglected. This is probably an adult reading, um, but he's clearly been neglected. He's been beaten up by Dudley a lot. He, it sounds like he can't really stand up for himself. He's definitely like depicted as the sort of runt of the family (laughs) even though he's not he's not of the family yeah he's definitely got more potter genes than evans genes yes which we know to be true later on when everybody says that harry looks like james Mm. apart from apart from his eyes he has his mother's eyes this is true (laughs) also this is not depicted in the films no uh, did that? How did that make you feel? Because I remember the green eyes and Daniel Radcliffe's blue eyes being quite a bit of a controversial issue when the films came out. Came out. Did it bother you? It actually didn't bother me because I think it's not really something I particularly pay attention to. Mm. And to be honest with you, I don't know if this is just me, but I don't particularly take in people's eye colour unless it's very striking like it's not a part of how I imagine them so when I imagine Harry in my head before even the films came out even though he's described as green eyes and even though I knew that was important it still doesn't particularly feature in my image of him just because I don't take in eye colour that much like I'm not convinced I know what eye colour my parents have (laughs) no I think that's true I don't I don't 
it's weird because it's probably the part of someone's body that you look at the most, but you don't remember. Like you said, unless they're really distinctive, you don't remember them, do you? But I think I think the thing... How many books had come out by the time we had the first film? Was it... Was Azkaban out by then? Yes, I think the first three. Yeah. So I think it, his eyes had been made a big deal of in the books hadn't they so I don't know I, I think I was probably felt like I should be outraged because people around me were outraged that he didn't have green eyes but <laughs> in the end it didn't really bother me it didn't it doesn't change the story does it so no and I think ultimately you have to accept that no actor is going to look exactly as you imagine them anyway so it's always a compromise it's always a Mm. downgrade from the version that's in your head so the fact that his eyes aren't the same is just sort of part of it being sort of brought to life I suppose because I think what was interesting about the film was, was obviously they were picked as children for how they looked at the time but then they grew up in ways that they couldn't foresee. So, like, both Mm. Harry and Ron are supposed to be quite tall, aren't they? But particularly Ron, he's supposed to be Mm. quite tall and quite gangly, isn't he? Like, quite long-limbed and and stuff. Whereas Rupert Grint's quite stocky, actually, and bigger built. Um, And probably the same for Harry. Harry's... Daniel Radcliffe's quite short, I think. Um, He is. And I always at least picture him taller. So, you know, they, they can't foresee these things. You just have to accept that when something is brought to to life it's not going to be as you imagine Mm, yeah and that's we always have our imaginations and the books so it's okay we get the best best of both worlds yeah i think as long as you can retain your own your own perception your own Mm, image yeah good i like that harry says that he likes his scar here because i think this is like before before we get into the fact that it becomes a bit of a pain to him Mm -hmm. physically and sort of socially later on so obviously it literally hurts him at points but also he talks about how it's annoying that everyone always sort of looks at his scar and it's his defining feature in the magical world but he's yet to experience that so I think it's really sweet that little Harry likes this kind of feature of himself here Um, especially as you said it's so sad the rest of him like he just feels like a bit of the runt but he's got at least he's got something that he likes about himself yeah yeah like you said considering what it comes to represent and what 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 it means i wonder how um jk rowling envisaged harry feeling about his scar like at the end of the book you know when it's you know when it's all over i wonder how he feels about his scar when voldemort has actually been defeated yeah because the last sentence of the last book references his scar yeah we can ask her when she comes (laughs) on the podcast as i'm sure she will (laughs) want to take part in these discussions she's not answered any of my emails calls or tweets but um yeah she's a busy lady she'll get around to it you know we're high up on the list i'm sure (laughs) uh goals hashtag goals (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah we we get the description of harry and we also get description of where he lives Yes. Well, I I wish I could remember how I felt about this, because I'm sure I would have been shocked to find that he lived in a cupboard under the stairs. But because it's such common knowledge now, I kind of just breezed over it and was like, yep, that's right. He lives in the cupboard under the stairs. Hold on a second. That's not quite right. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember either. I think I find it more distressing now. As an adult, I'm doing air quotes, but obviously no one can see that. Um, (laughs) uh, But as a child, I think I just sort of took it as par for the course, you know. It was just, I think I knew it was kind of a gimmick 
it's quite fun when you're a child as well to have something a bit different. And I'm sure countless children reading Harry Potter will wish that they had a cupboard under the stairs, even just to go for a few hours at a time to sit and have their own little cubby hole. It's quite nice to have something a bit different. You don't really get the full the full understanding of what it means that he actually did live there for a full 10 years. <laughs> Do you think that on the morning, Petunia found him on the doorstep just sort of in the panic and not knowing what to do she just put him in the first place she could find and that's where he stayed that's one of the best images i think you've ever come up with about harry potter it's just like oh just put him in the cupboard no one will know oh i love that poor harry poor harry um, one of the interesting things, thinking about him growing up with the Dursleys, is there is a fan theory that because Harry is a Horcrux, the reason why the Dursleys treat him so badly is because the negative effect of the Horcrux in Harry on upon them. Hmm. Um, so we know in the link in the last book, when Ron wears the locket Horcrux, he's particularly affected by that and it, it changes his, his character and his mood. So people have sort of taken that idea and, and think that that's, that could be attributed to the Dursleys. Uh, what do you think about that? Mm. I wonder if that's just making excuses for the Dursleys. Because if that was the case, wouldn't everyone around Harry always feel that way he doesn't i mean his his classmates aren't affected like that are they well not that we know not that we know i mean they're not described as being particularly depressive but who knows if harry hadn't <laughs> been there they perhaps Gryffindor would have been you know the super cheery house <laughs> it's a it's an interesting thing to think but yeah no i think i think that is just making excuses i think it's one of the weaker fan theories but i do i do like that you were uh, brought fan theories up please bring more in the future Oh, I will. I will. I do enjoy the fan theories and some of them are pretty excellent. Some of them have even been, maybe not endorsed, but um, at least have been appreciated by uh, Mrs. Rowling herself. So That mysterious woman. She's always so... She never quite gives you the proper answer, does she? You always feel like she's got more to tell the world about this story. She's holding back. I feel like she's going to take a lot of things to the grave. Which is a morbid thought, I apologise. <laughs> we, let's, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Shall we talk about the excellent treatment of Harry in this chapter? <laughs> oh yes, that cheery thought. <laughs> he is looked after so well. Yeah, I, I don't want to bring the tone down again, but it's just the nature of the chapter. As we said before, he's clearly, he's neglected, and it says quite explicitly that he's neglected, because there's no sign of him existing in the house. And the fact that he's living in the cupboard, again, they obviously don't care because they shoved him in the first place that they could find. But then also the way that the Dursleys talk to him or about him, even when he's in the room. Mm. The bit that says the, the Dursleys often spoke about Harry like this, as though he wasn't there. Or rather, as though he was something very nasty that couldn't understand them, like a slug. And that's just, again, it's heartbreaking. It's horrible. What, what kind of people do that but what i think is interesting is that he doesn't seem to take it personally he has quite a good sense of that this isn't normal he has been mistreated but that that's just kind of unfortunate thing that happened to him yeah it's kind of like he's come to terms with the lot that he's been dealt i think he i think he does understand 
that it's not normal, but he doesn't quite get the injustice of it yet, because otherwise I think there'd be a lot, a lot of anger there. Mm. I think this is a major fact that you have to kind of let the magic sweep mm. you along, because I think someone that did have this kind of upbringing um, would not be the kind of well-rounded and <laughs> emotionally mature person that Harry comes on to be. Not that he's perfect, but he's definitely not as <laughs> inhibited as he should be. Yeah, he's he's pretty laid back, and but I think I feel like he's quite confident as well, despite everything. Yeah, but then perhaps this is why. Mm. Perhaps you, if you've if you've grown up with the Dursleys, where every little thing can get you massive punishments, then you're treated like dirt. Then compared to them, everybody else, it's just a bit like YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I think of his other sort of enemies, like Malfoy, Snape. Like, who cares? They're yeah. nothing compared to ten years with the Dursleys. It's true. <laughs> Speaking of the Dursleys, can we just talk about their reaction to having to take Harry to the zoo? Because it turns out that they, they would normally leave him with Mrs Fig, who, as we mentioned, uh, is basically me. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> They ha- well, they have to find something to do with him. And they they think of a number of things, but also discount them. They can't leave him with Aunt Marge, Vernon's sister, because she's on holiday, which is fair enough. They can't leave her in they can't leave him in the house because they might come back and find the house in ruins. Obviously. Vernon doesn't want to leave him in the car because it's new and he doesn't want him in there alone because let's face it, he'd probably start chewing at the leather interior. <laughs> it is like he is a dog. Like that is the <laughs> yeah. way they talk about him. But then like I don't want to jump to the Dursley's defence. But at the same time, they know he is magical. Mm. Well, they they suspect he will be. And we do get in a little while some Hint, well, hints towards the magic and the strange things that happen around Harry. So whilst they're being quite irrational, like they also might have a little bit of a point, mm. considering what goes on to happen in this chapter. <laughs> that, that actually, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that before. Because to them, I guess Harry is a bit like a ticking bomb. They're mm. just expecting him to kind of magically explode at some point or other. Yeah. I see. I oh, you. I you've made me feel a bit odd because I didn't want to rationalise like the Dursleys do, but now I understand where they're coming from, and that makes me feel weird. <laughs> oh, the day when you you empathise with the uh, Dursleys is a tricky day. <laughs> but I still don't agree. Well, yeah, we don't agree, but we we perhaps understand. Shall we talk about some of those instances that might have might have set their alarm bells ringing? Yes. The first, they talk about his hair and uh, how she basically shaves him. <laughs> it's so bad. It says she uh, took a pair of kitchen scissors and cut his hair so short he was almost bald, except for his fringe. Oh, no. Oh, no. Even even for the 80s and 90s, that was a bad look. I know. That's the kind of look. And I do apologise to anyone that's listening that does sport this look. But it's the kind of thing that if I saw it in the street, I would double take and be like, what kind of life has led you to the decision where this is an okay haircut? (laughs) This has been a decision that you have made. You have chosen that this is how you would like to appear to the world. (laughs) Wow. 
So that's the first one, but then his hair all grows back amazingly. Um, that would be a really handy skill to have should you have a, a bad haircut. I would love that magical power. Speaking of fringes, my dear old mum used to cut mine and my sister's fringes when we were younger and she's not a hairdresser she used to just like petunia take a pair of kitchen scissors and try and trim our fringes not not a good look i mean she she herself will get out pictures of us and start laughing at how bad it was (laughs) (laughs) i think i'm gonna need to see these pictures for sure um, I have never sported a fringe in my life, so I've never had the fringe situation, but I can imagine it would be bad. Yeah, it's it's not the best. It's not the best. Bless his cotton socks. Um, <laughs> I'm very glad for him that his hair did go back, because that is like, I mean, it's just cruel to send a child <laughs> to school with that kind of haircut. Uh, that's pr- probably one of the, the worst things that the Dursleys have done. <laughs> probably. Uh, then the second time we get him trying to force an old dumper of Dudley's onto him, which is described as being brown with orange <laughs> bubbles. Where did this come from and why did Dudley <laughs> had it? I have no idea. Probably best not to question. And uh, it just keeps getting smaller until it might have fitted a glove puppet, but certainly wouldn't fit Harry. Aunt Petunia decided it must have shrunk in the wash. And to his great relief, Harry wasn't punished. <laughs> I guess you're not you're not going to argue with that, are you? No. Like, if you're as determined as the Dursleys are for everything to be normal mm. and for there to be no magic, then you will turn to the, the most ready explanation. And then my favourite occasion um which is when harry is being chased by dudley's gang and this is at school and he ends up being found on the the roof of the school kitchens and uh, harry's explanation of how this had happened was that he supposed that the wind must have caught him in mid-jump just swept him up onto the roof like he's in mary poppins oh harry oh harry bless him (laughs) i just his his reasoning just it's not on point is it but i guess you can't really blame him when he's been brought up with someone who decides a jumper that used to fit like a minute ago and now is the size of a glove puppet you're not going to argue with someone that thinks like that are you and you're probably going to adopt some of those reasoning ways for sure and we shouldn't forget that he is 10 years old so Mm. You know, you don't always have a, a great sense of what's possible. You still live kind of in your imagination. And, um, you know, it, it surprises me that he asks or he even mentions his dream in the car about the motorbike. You I mean, mm. any, I think given a few years, you definitely would have learned and you wouldn't bring it up. But at this stage, I think he's still a little bit naive. Yes. So, bless him. <laughs> I said that like <laughs> six times now. Well, that's just the impression I get from this chapter. You can't help it. <laughs> So, um, yeah, poor Harry uh, doesn't know his own powers, (laughs) but uh, he's about to. Uh, Before we talk about the sort of major incident of this chapter, from which Mm -hmm. it gets its name, The Vanishing Glass, I would like to mention the description of Piers Polkis, Dudley's friend, Uh because (laughs) this description has stuck with me, Zoe. (laughs) Uh, It made an impression... And it has found its way into my 
inner being. J.K. Rowling has determined the way that I now think about the world. So, Piers was a scrawny boy with a face like a rat. <laughs> that's that's the only description we get. But um, I think it is. I I would attribute this very description to the fact that I have met several people in my life and thought they have a rat face. (laughs) This is something I frequently think when I see people. It's a kind of, you know, the thin face, pointy nose, but there's a particular look and I think you have a rat face (laughs) and you and Piers could be in a club. And thank you, Joanne, for starting that way of thinking in my head. (laughs) I am... a, a rat face club. Mm. Gosh. Rats and rats and pigs we have. <laughs> and pigs. You can divide the world into two kinds of people, Zoe. Rats and pigs. <laughs> I think I'm a pig. <laughs> I, I think I'd rather be a pig. Yeah. Mm. I mean, look at Miss Piggy. She's doing all right for us, uh, isn't she? Yeah. I did hear she got a, bra- a, a younger model. Or was it, was it Kermit that got a younger model? Either way, the whole thing was a complete debacle. Oh gosh. Anyway, that's a different podcast. That's a completely different podcast. <laughs> Let's go back to the snake or get to the snake. Mm, yes. Uh, so they're gonna they're gonna take their chances and take him to the zoo. Turns out they they probably shouldn't have done that because Harry causes the glass to vanish in a snake exhibit or snake tank. Yeah. You said cage earlier. You're not doing well. I'm not doing well. The terminology for snake enclosures. Enclosure. That'll do. That'll do. There we go. It's been a long time since I've been to the zoo. I went in November, last November, so not that long ago. That's not optimum time for zoo viewing, surely. Well, it was was in Italy, so it was was just a day trip. Italian animals. It was quite sunny. Didn't see any snakes, though. No, so I find it... Harry doesn't seem that surprised by his communication with the snake here. I mean, he's a bit taken aback and he looks around, Mm. but he's sort of just... He's quite accepting of this situation. He's more surprised that it winks at him than the fact that he can talk to it. Maybe he's just... Does he think that's normal? I don't think he thinks that's normal. Surely not. Well, no, but then perhaps this is like... Perhaps a sign that he doesn't like completely freak out shows mm. that you know that's the magic in him he that's how you know he knows that's a part of him and and who he is and it's it's natural to him yeah the magic clearly has more power than we think there's actually another fan theory you said you wanted more oh. fan theories well i i have another one for you fan theory oh it's like a little fanfare for the fan <laughs> theory you're gonna have to do that every time now so um it has been suggested that this very snake that harry accidentally releases becomes the one and only nagini oh gosh it's i didn't know that was the case yeah well it's not the case mm, so ha- has jk come out and said anything about this i don't know if she said anything about this particularly but i think other fans mm. in a fan theory comeback mm. <laughs> have pointed out that This snake is a boa constrictor, and Nagini is a python, I believe. No, do we? Are we told that? I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm going to quickly Google it as we speak. (laughs) Sorry, sing sing a tune. I'll um, I'll work on my fan theory, fan fan fanfare. Please do. 
Welcome to Fan Theory Time. No? That was lovely. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> that was excellent. Thank and, you. Right, I've got it. A, okay. little, a little bit of a Harry Potter wikia. Oh. Um, there was a rumour that the Gini was the snake that Harry had released from the zoo in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. This was proven false as Nagini was some type of viper, while the snake at the zoo was a boa constrictor. Well, you heard it here first. Boa constrictor at the zoo, not Nagini. Blown out of the water. That's not true. But it's clever. I can imagine the first person that thought of that being like, I'm a freaking genius. <laughs> I've worked it all out. <laughs> well, no, you haven't done. um i've also this scene uh it was good to reread i mean i have read these books several times but i have to say the film has tarnished my overall view of the scene because Mm -hmm. i forgot that in fact dudley does not end up in the cage with and the glass comes back um Mm. as it does in the film although i actually quite enjoy that in the film i I did. I I do love the comedy value of that scene, especially Opportuna. I think it's Fiona Shaw is the actress. Her reaction to when she sees Dudley inside the enclosure is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. She goes so over the top and so panicked. It's brilliant. And uh, I think if there was if there was to be a moment that would be the most inappropriate for Dumbledore to appear and offer a sherbet lemon. It would quite possibly be at, during this incident or afterwards in the uh, in the zookeeper's office where she's been given a cup of tea to calm down. Yes. Um, that would be a classic Dumbledore. Would you care for a sherbet lemon? I might, I might start doing the inappropriate sherbet lemon in real life. Or just offering people sherbet lemons. Yeah, just when things get out of hand, just... Will you keep sherbet lemons with you for this, or are you just going to offer them and not actually have them in reality? (laughs) Obviously, I'll have a packet of sherbet lemon with me at all times. Well, I think it would make it even more inappropriate if you not only (laughs) offered one, but then didn't have (laughs) Would you go for a sherbet lemon? Um, Okay. Sorry, I don't have any. Uh, so weird, but so funny. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> as well as um, an inappropriate show about Lemon, did you have a favourite line from this chapter? I think maybe the description of Piers as a rat face, <laughs> rat face. For, for the for the personal impact it's had on my life. Yeah, I think that's 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 okay. Or for the comedy value, Dudley is a pig in a wig is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Mine was actually something that Petunia says when um, when Piers Polkis turns up and she says, Oh, good Lord, they're here! <laughs> <laughs> just because, you know, overreaction, it's just... I, I, I wish I was like that, in a way. But it's like, it's one of those things that's like, it's over the top, but at the same time, it feels so real. Like, I can imagine my mum saying it, like, not quite like <laughs> yeah. that, but like, you know, you have guests arriving, and you're not quite ready, and you've just had a big yeah. Barney at home, and everyone's falling out for some reason, and like, <laughs> she's just burning something, and then the doorbell rings, and she's just like, oh my goodness. Well, we're also, the other thing that, that um, comes to mind is when the phone rings at about 10 o'clock at night. And you think, who on earth is calling at this time? <laughs> yeah, it's so like, 
it becomes like a, a big thing. Like before you answer, everyone looks at each other and they're like, what, what, what is this? Has someone died? Like, Are you expecting a call? <laughs> what are these circumstances under which someone would call us at the time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the, it's the, I feel like there's a general rule for calling, like nine o'clock is the kind of cutoff. That was what I was always Definitely. taught as a child anyway. You can't call someone after nine o'clock. No, it's too late. People have settled in for the night after nine. It's true. You don't. You don't want to talk to the outside world. Oh. So we get to the last page of this chapter, and there's two things going on. One of them is that it's just quite sad, actually, describing Harry's childhood. We can get to that in a minute. But the other thing, which I have a question about, is that it describes uh, strange occurrences where Harry is greeted very warmly by individuals that are dressed strangely, which we, as the reader, know to be w- wizards and witches. My question is, Zoe, how would these people have recognised Harry? How would they know who he is? So I've given this some thought. Let me give you my initial thoughts before okay. you respond. So they could be recognising him on the basis that he looks like James Potter. But I find this unlikely. He's still 10 years old at the time. And even if he was a good resemblance to a 10-year-old James Potter. I don't feel like he would have been so well-known in the wizarding world that, like, strangers would automatically know that it was James's son, Harry. Mm-hmm. So the other option is that they're recognising him by his scar. But obviously, the scar occurred on the incident of his parents' death. And the only people that know he has a scar is Dumbledore, Hagrid, and Professor McGonagall. So unless they've gone around telling people or unless they, you know, took a quick selfie with the baby <laughs> before. Um, sorry, no, wait, scratch that. That's a different world. Uh, different time, different time. Um, basically, my main conundrum is how would these people have known who Harry was? Well, uh, it's a good question. I think later on, doesn't Hermione, when when they first, when they walk up to the castle to be sorted, Hermione mentions that Harry is in a few books. Mm-hmm. So I think this whole, his lightning bolt scar does become common knowledge. It would probably leak out somehow. I imagine Rita Skeeter is involved. <laughs> she most definitely would have been, yeah. <laughs> so maybe it is, maybe it is the scar, and I, I, I don't know. They have wily ways, don't they? And let's not forget that Rita Skeeter is an unregistered animagus. So she could have got wind of whereabouts Harry was being brought up and then found out. And, you know... She could have been... Although she would have been quite a bit younger at this time. She may not have been into journalism yet. In which case, I wouldn't be surprised if Hagrid let it slip, you know, in, yes. in his grief. You can imagine him <laughs> had, had a few too many drinks in the in the hogshead or the three broomsticks and he's like oh and he's got this scar on his forehead and like a lightning bolt (laughs) and i had to leave him with these muggles in little whinging you can i can see it now in my head (laughs) but it it comes from a good place i can forgive harry i can forgive hagrid for that i'm gonna go with that yeah that is how i'm gonna explain those how (laughs) how it got out and how it got into the books (laughs) whatever helps you sleep Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been it's been a hard hard time keeping me up thinking like that. But uh, moving on to the second thing, which was the sadness at the end of this chapter. Mm. Yeah, I just that sentence. At school, Harry had no one. 
Please, can I have some tissues? <laughs> but I think this, it does really lay the foundation for Hogwarts. And, like, one, one of the central themes of the whole, of the books is is love, really, and the power mm. of love, and Harry's love for his friends, and how much they mean to him. Mm. And I actually think it's one of the sadder elements of the books that we get the insight into how Harry feels but I don't feel like he always expresses it so we know how much he loves Ron and Hermione and people like Molly Weasley like he he loves them so much and yet I don't feel like he often can't express it that well yeah that's true he's not he's not good at verbalizing how he feels is he no which let's face it is just a bit of a boy problem in general yes I I mean they, any boys listening to this, you have to admit it. <laughs> but probably also the fact that, you know, he did have no one for such a long time. Yeah. Oh, Gosh, Harry. it's gone deep and dark. <laughs> <laughs> there are good times ahead. Hold on, Harry, hold on. <laughs> and I think also as well, it always gets sadder on the rereading because obviously when you first read these books you don't know Harry, you're not attached to him. He's still, you know, just you're still learning about him and what he's like. Whereas now, like, Harry's Harry's our guy. We love Harry, so we're even sadder about it. It's like it's a bit like learning that your parents had a life before you came along. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is yes. completely bizarre. Yeah. So yeah, the vanishing glass. Yeah, quite short but deep. A little bit of sadness in there. Yeah, sorry to bring the pod down. We we will try to keep it light, but you know you've got to go with the ebb and flow of the the magical world. <laughs> magical world. It's a magical roller coaster ride. And on that note, thank you, everyone, our millions of listeners. We thank mean you. so much to us. <laughs> thank you for joining us again on episode two of Harry Potter Chapter Chat. You've been listening to me, Zoe. And me, Anna. This has been book one, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, chapter two, The Vanishing Glass. I just want to say thank you to Purple Planet for our theme music, and we'll see you next time for chapter three here on Harry Potter Chapter Chat.